your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to Michigan State Week on Off Tackle Empire, your home for Big Ten football everything. We have a very special guest with us this week who's, uh, no, actually just my co-host, our Michigan State correspondent, Andrew Krzyzewski, once again. I'm yeah, I would, like to, I would like to place an objection on the record here. Michigan State is the transitive champion of the Big Ten West. Therefore, we should not be previewed before Memorial Day. I, I would like to place my objection on the record and preserve my right to appeal. I'm just kidding. Uh, Michigan State was super bad. And if your team lost to Michigan State, uh, you should feel bad. <laughs> yep. Not very many teams bear that particular badge of dishonor, but uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> those who do. Yes. Well, some of those teams are, uh, some of those teams were one Peyton Ramsey away from being terrible. Some right. of those teams yes. might have been one Peyton Ramsey away from being 500. I, it's strange because when we talk about Rutgers, we are going to say that they also had a very successful first season. Then you look at the overall record, like, well, how can that be true? Well, context matters, right? So for a two-win team in Michigan State's position, given where they've been the last few years, for that to be successful, it's all due to context. So here's maybe the best point to start. We're recording a little bit in advance of when this podcast is going to drop. The NFL draft just wrapped up recently here. And for the first time since 1940, Michigan State didn't have a player drafted. That's the roster that Mark D'Antonio left Mel Tucker to work with in year one. And we've talked at length about how because of D'Antonio's decision to hang around until February before retiring, Tucker gets in there late. And then a month after he takes the job, COVID hits. And so, let's, put that, uh, let's put that streak into perspective, okay? Because after 1940, Illinois won a national championship and Indiana went to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> like, those are things that have happened. Yeah, after 1940, Michigan State won several championships. Um, God, Michigan even won one, right? If you can believe that. 1948? If you can believe that, yeah. And it's just... Um, a whole uh, one. I bring that up because since... Antonio left the job I've argued with plenty of Michigan State fans mostly on the internet but a couple even in person who have tried to claim that actually Mark had earned the right to do whatever he wanted that there was nothing wrong with him leaving on his own terms even though they were kind of goofy terms and moreover that he left lots of that Michigan State was still very talented that he left lots of talent on the roster whatever you think about whether he had the right to leave on his own terms or not and i don't think as a head coach, you have the right to wait until February and then completely screw your program over. But whether you think he had the right to do that or not, there should not be any argument anymore about whether he left a lot of talent behind. He, he didn't. He absolutely did not. And what's more is that as bad as those last couple of recruiting classes are, they're mostly gone now. They've had so many guys transfer out who could not make it an impact, could not make a dent on the depth chart for this team last year as bad as they were. So I said at some point last off season, I don't remember exactly when, probably about midway through the, not even the last off season, midway through the season. I said at some point that when they break for summer camp, when they break for the summer next after spring practice, that meaning this spring practice, 
there's going to be at least 30 new players on the roster from the end of the 2020 season. I undershot that number considerably. (laughs) Uh, Mel Tucker has probably done the most of any coach that I'm aware of, at least to improve his team through the portal this year. And they had as many, if not more, I think they had more guys go out than come in, but you're talking about guys who are at the bottom of the depth chart, guys who either had not played or were not going to play. There's an argument to be made that really the only transfer they've had go out who they're really going to miss was Rocky Lombardi. After the way last season went, if we learn nothing else about the state of Michigan State's roster, it's that I know what Rocky Lombardi is capable of. I don't need to see him play another snap at quarterback for my team because we're not going anywhere with him. So uh, I guess the best way to go here is to kind of break it in one at a time. Um, The guys who I think are going to have the biggest impacts, hopefully, are going to be Drew Jordan, defensive end from Duke, and Jarrett Horst, the offensive tackle from Arkansas State. And if you want to sneer at taking a Sunbelt transfer and saying it's going to be a big impact, look at the other teams who are after him. Um, and of course, the reasons why you need those guys are obvious. MSU's pass rush sucked last year. Even getting Drew or uh, yeah, Drew Beasley and Jacob Pass sucked to come back for an extra year. Yeah, it's good to have returning starters, but they're not exactly a couple of Kenny Willicus clones out there. And the offensive line thing should be obvious. Their offensive line play has been terrible across the board for years. Basically, last year, what happened was Michigan State had absolutely nothing going on either side in the trenches. And uh, it's it's honestly pretty difficult to lose a Big Ten game to a team that can't do anything on either side of the line. And that's why the the two games they did manage to win, Northwestern and Michigan, were encouraging not only because they're beating a team that on paper is a lot better than them, but because those wins were, to me, probably 80% or better excellent coaching, superior coaching. to what Definitely was happening better execution the because that was just the one where Peyton Ramsey decided, I'm just going to throw picks to linebackers, right? Yeah, and then the Michigan game was just the case of, well, we're looking at the film and we see that their corners are kind of slow and we have a quarterback who throws a good deep ball. Let's just throw a ton of deep balls. And it worked. It worked just well enough. Um, and then what you saw in other results, like the two games that to me proved the most that there was no real talent, that there was not much talent on this roster were Iowa and Indiana, because those were two teams that don't have superstars really. Like they're just, they're very good teams across the board, some NFL talent, especially Iowa, but they're just really solid, well-coached teams that don't have fundamentals gaps. that are schematically sound. And because against- Iowa's always <laughs> Iowa, they're yeah, just a very good those- measuring stick. Yeah, against those teams, Michigan State was ground into pace. They did not belong on the same field. So those th- that to me is the real the gre- the fulcrum, the center the centering point of that schedule they played last year. Everyone lost to Ohio State badly, um, but against teams like Iowa and Indiana, you see more of what you really are. Um, and what they were was not very good. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a big season. And honestly, given all the transfer activity in and out. If anything, I'm perhaps a little disappointed that so far they've only brought in one guy on the offensive line who figures to start right away. They have a Juco guy, Brandon Baldwin, who I guess they could play immediately, but it doesn't seem like they're going to go the route of replacing him wholesale. So really on the line, the, the hope of improvement is that these veterans in a second year under this offensive line coach, Chris Kapilovich, are able to improve considerably because I don't think this offense achieves its best version if they don't get better play out of guys who've been there forever, like our Curie and Matt Allen, Kevin Jarvis. Um, 
those guys all came back, presumably under the impression that they're going to be starting because there haven't been three or four more transfers coming in to take their spots. If they're not at least consistently average, uh, this team's never going to get better. So the interesting thing, of course, is that they didn't just bring in transfers at spots where they obviously need bodies. They brought it, you know, so they bring in linebacker transfers, for example, because they had enough guys leave, but all of a sudden, even in a four two five where they don't play as many linebackers, they don't have guys to fill out a two deep. So it's, it's understandable and great that they're bringing in guys like Colveris Crouch and Tank Brown from Minnesota. Um, they have Ma'a Galteote, who's going to be hopefully a, a freshman who plays right away. So you understand grabbing a bunch of guys in the linebacker group because they're short talent there. But they brought in a couple of transfers to the running back group as well, where you at least have bodies that you think are capable of playing. Uh, but even though they had four or five guys that you might be okay running out there, they go and get Kenneth Walker the third from Wake Forest, Harold Joyner from Auburn. Um, and they also brought in Anthony Russo before Rocky Lombardi transferred out. So that tells you that even where they have guys who have played and shown that they're at least not total liabilities, that this staff isn't going to be content to settle for that. And that's a really encouraging thing. Now there's no guarantee that any of this approach works and the evaluation starts now, once we get into fall practice, because I, again, everything that we saw last year, to me, you take the positives and the, the rest of it, I, I don't know that you contribute any of it to this coaching staff. So this is year one, as far as I'm concerned. Um, we'll see if that approach works. Cause again, like I said, notwithstanding how much fun those Michigan and Northwestern games were last year, what this roster mostly was, what the team mostly was, was a talent deficient outfit that really struggled on both sides of the ball. I, if there was something else there that I'm, that I, my pessimistic self isn't seeing, by all means, let me know. But it, you know, what it's, it's at least a breath of fresh air and you can see that things are going to be done somewhat differently. What I am worried about is that because Tucker is the guy after the guy, if they don't bring up some results pretty quick, parts of the fan base are going to start looking backwards and they're going to say, oh, we shouldn't have kicked all Mark's guys out of here. He had a better eye for, for talent than this Tucker guy anyway. Um, I, can't, I, I can't have those arguments with guys in this fan base anymore. I can't do it. It's because it's all guys, right? Um, so I, I just hope that there's enough success this year that guys are willing, that people will accept and understand this is a difficult situation he was in. And that some and that doing things completely differently is going to take some time. Last coach was here for 13 years. Okay, the thing is, you know, one of the things I'm always it always bothers me with with Illinois coaches that, and I hope that if Bielema reaches a point where it becomes obvious to everybody that he needs to go, that he gets shown the door. Whereas, you know, Lovey Smith is yet another coach that we hang, hung on to two years past his expiration date. But D'Antonio was in a position where his expiration date came immediately after he won the big 10. It did, but it wasn't, it wasn't obvious at the time. I mean, the 2016 season was such a catastrophe. And then the way they bounced back on the field that you could in 2017, you could still squint at it and say, well, okay, maybe 2016 was the aberration here. Now there were some offensive trends that had started even in 2015 that were troubling but because they, they yeah, you know, if, if you look at the, where MSU was at the end of 2017, over that previous three-year stretch, you have a conference title with a playoff appearance, a terrible season, and then a 10-win season. So it was only with the benefit of a little further hindsight that, yes, it turned out, <laughs> and 
to me, the D'Antonio era was over late in the first half against Alabama when Connor Cook misplaced the ball that could have been a touchdown to Aaron Burbridge, and instead it was an interception. So we go into halftime, I believe, at 10-0 instead of what would have been 10-7, and then the floodgates open from there. That was really – that was, you know <laughs> – uh, that was – whatever historical analog you want to compare it to of a battle that turned the tide uh, that, you know, again, I'm trying to make us out want to turn D'Antonio's MSU into like the Confederacy or something. I was going to say Gettysburg. It's like, wait, what? I don't want to make that comparison. I'll let somebody else make that comparison. Uh, so, let, let, uh, uh, let Riley Bullough make that comparison. Speaking of 2016 and what went wrong there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, it's yeah, it's a strange position to be in because it was a bad team. They only won two games. I suspect the fact that one of those two wins was Michigan probably has probably done a lot to buoy my spirits about the way last year went because that game does matter more. Uh, but it's strange to be in this kind of holding pattern because the spring game happened a little while ago as well, but it was really just to televise practice. <laughs> you couldn't tell anything. They, they weren't doing full tackling. It was mostly just drills. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, I can – Sure. See, they were wearing, uh, I don't know exactly what you would call, but some one of the types of helmets that lets you track biometric data. So it just looks like they all have these helmets that look like golf balls on their heads. <laughs> it was just, it was very strange. Like, well, that's kind of cool in one sense, but on the other hand, I'm like, it looked pretty freaking goofy, man. Yeah, I, I usually don't understand. Like, <clears throat> spring games are not usually a thing that I care to watch, and it's, and most of them just generally tend to not tell you much. I tuned into the Illinois game just because I thought we were probably going to, well, one, I couldn't remember, like, I wanted to see who in the hell we were going to put at quarterback because we haven't had a spring game for so long because we never have scholarship quarterbacks for them. Um, And two, I want to see if they're actually going to run new schemes. Well, I mean, like, I don't see, there was a lot of spring games that probably didn't need to be on TV, but of course fans are going to tune in. Yeah, well, you know, when I lived locally, it was definitely something I would go to. I'm not going to drive to Lansing now for a spring game, um, well, especially not in this environment. But even if COVID hadn't happened, I'm not going to make that trip on a Saturday in April. I got yard work to do. Um, but And it's also, it has something of a, I think going to a spring game is something that you do as like a postseason celebration with the team. Because it's, it's not like, you know, even if you're involved enough with a program that you go to every home game and all that, if they have a great season, you still, you don't see them um, again. If you go to the conference championship game, go to whatever bowl you play in, then I guess it's different, but those are less accessible events than going to the home games for most fans. For most people, senior day is the last time you see the team. And if they go off and have and win a conference championship or win a big bowl game or something, you're not there for it. You're watching at home. So it's kind of like it's your best chance as a fan base at large to celebrate with the team is to do it at the spring game. That's the next time you see those guys. Um, so yeah, I'd be like, I, I couldn't go to the Rose bowl in 2013. You better believe I showed up for the spring game and got that poster though. Absolutely. So let's look at their schedule really quick. They don't have Iowa, um, which, you know, you basically, basically what we said was they're a measuring stick. They're kind of a mirror that, that you hold up to your big 10 team and see their true form. <laughs> Uh, but what they do have is Northwestern, which basically is an Elder Scroll that <laughs> you, you you look at, and there are just things you beyond your comprehension beyond your comprehension that blind you and make you just like stumble around in some sort of ethereal <laughs> void, uh, and then you either win the game by three or lose the game by one. Oh my god! 
a fantastic analogy. Holy hell. Oh, uh, yeah. And it, of course, it's the first game of the season. Uh, so you, you better be ready to go. I mean, even even losing a couple guys because they, you know, Greg Newsom got drafted. They didn't have in the first round. They didn't have Ray Sean Slater last year anyway. So he's not really a loss in the sense that you think of a guy you don't have from year to year. Um, but, they, you know, they won't have Patty Fisher. They'll have some new guys. And it's like you said, they're they're such an unknowable madness inducing thing to, con- to even contemplate <laughs> yes for, for those of you not hip to the reference an elder scroll is basically a record of like long lost eldritch abomination knowledge that that human minds break attempting to comprehend because it's just it, it's very lovecraftian and if you don't think that's an appropriate analogy then you've never seen an eventual division champion Northwestern like derp their way past Chris, Chris Ash Rutgers by three points <laughs> or lose to two in Michigan state. Yeah. Uh, the, the other notable schedule points here, they have the non-con trip to Miami who are going to have Derek King back. So oh boy, going to be fun. Um, although they did lose a couple of big time defensive linemen. So at least we didn't have to see Gregory Rousseau and Jalen Phillips going against our offensive tackles last year. <laughs> Uh, but again, presumably they're going to have some talent to play. They're going to have a talent edge, but that'll be an interesting test because they are, they're generally not thought of as the best coach team. Let's see how Scotty Hazleton's four, two, five is going to do against that kind of dual threat. Um, the other non-con entity is Western Kentucky, which is not the Western Kentucky it used to be. So that really ought to be a win and Youngstown state, which you sure as hell better win. Um, the crossovers, you mentioned Northwestern. They also host Nebraska um, and they go to Purdue. So that's pretty manageable. As you said, no Iowa, um, also no Wisconsin and no Minnesota, which I think could be in line for a bounce back year. I, we'll get to them when we get to them, but their defense almost can't help but be better. The run game is still going to be kick ass, I think. So I th- in terms of what you would want to line up on paper, I think for an East division team, even with the division champion looking back at you, I think this is probably still on paper what you want because it, it's going to be a long time. Like it's going to take another, I don't know what, like another four division championships in the next six or seven years or so before people stop looking at Northwestern and being like, oh, that's a win, regardless of what team you're cheering for. Well, nevertheless, they're a team that anybody could beat and anybody but Ohio State could lose to. Right. It's just. <laughs> Any individual year depends what the likelihood of being on the other side of that three-point contest is. Of course, every now and then they just beat Maryland forty-four to three for some reason. And and while Lovey Smith was a coach at Illinois, it pretty regularly embarrassed him. Yeah, and so other than that, you you do look at this schedule and see that the Ohio State and Penn State games are at the very end of the season. <laughs> yeah, so basically so, your season wraps up two games early. It well, it does. From a, from from a how did we do perspective? Yeah, there's no well, yes and no because although it's true, I don't think there's really any realistic scenario where Michigan State goes to the shoe and gives Ohio State much of a game this fall. You could squint at this the right way and say, look, if we have one of our better scenarios and Penn State has kind of an off year, maybe we can get that game away from them because it is at home. Um, so. That being said, I don't have a whole lot in the way of expectations. Um, As I said, with the non-con being what it is, I would hope two and one is probably what they come out of that with. 
division hasn't gotten much easier, but there is this stretch in October where it's at Rutgers, at Indiana versus Michigan, and then they go to Purdue. If they go two and two or three and one, and if they get to three and one in that stretch, I would feel good about making a bowl regardless of what happens elsewhere. Um, I think Nebraska is a coin flip as far as MSU goes. I'm maybe I'm a little too bearish on them, and what again we described in the Illinois in the Illinois podcast as a make or break season for them. Um, and I'm not saying that Michigan State's a better team than Nebraska on paper, but there's in terms of vibes, right? Who's who's winning the vibe matchup right now? Well, I mean, Nebraska just had an exodus of skill players. Yeah, like so. the, the, the the guy that was the quarterback controversy all year with Adrian Martinez who's left. Yeah, no controversy anymore. <laughs> um, so, I think you hope for a bowl game here because this is a situation where you really do want the bowl. Everyone says, "Oh, we gotta get to bowl games. So you can get the extra bowl practices." If you're in like season four or five of a coach and you still need the bowl practices, that's a problem. But in this case, I can still see that being very relevant and helpful because they're still going to have a lot of new players and the schemes will still be relatively fresh, even to the veterans by then. Although I guess after the first full off season, you pretty well lived in those schemes. So yeah, I, I'm not terribly optimistic as you can see here, or I'm saying, Oh, best case scenario, I'll get you six and six. But really, unless a couple of these opponents take huge steps backward that we don't expect, like unless Rutgers just fit, like if it was a dead cat bounce for Rutgers and Indiana takes a huge step backwards and Maryland continues to not use their talent at all, (laughs) unless a couple of those things happen to the more gettable games, which would be Nebraska, Rutgers, Indiana, Michigan, Purdue, Maryland. I mean, yeah, you get a, you get a, that Mark Hollis weather machine at Purdue. He, well, man, he, um, what was the phrase? Retired. I was going to say resigned in disgrace a few years ago, but uh, retired. Yeah, but did he take the machine with him? Man, I hope not. The better not have been part. What a weird buyout package that would have been. But I guess as the athletic director, I don't know who writes his contract. So, <laughs> all right. We'll pivot now to basketball, which for the first time in a long time was not exactly a source of relief after what happened in football. Uh, after, well... All right, so there were a few very notable highs in there, but mostly all that those things did for this basketball season was to cast even sharper relief on how long and prolonged the valleys were. And now this offseason, they go through their first substantial roster churn that was not caused by either graduation or the draft in I, I can't remember. I literally cannot remember the last. Okay, so no, that's not true. A few you want to say that Michigan State should never have opened the season ranked, but beating Duke at Duke, it usually matters. Yeah, and they started 6-0, and and it looked for a minute like that ranking made sense, and then they got blown out by Northwestern in the Big Ten opener, and it was like, oh, oh no. Oh, what happened here? It's one of those things where in the court, in the sample size of basketball season, you get one outcome like that. It's like, okay, whatever. And then they got blown out by Minnesota and it was like, oh, oh, oh no. And yeah, well, so what, so what you wanted to do was buy the dip and then it kept dipping. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so the responsible thing to do would have been to cash out after they started. I forget if it was one and four, one and five, something like that. Um, to their credit, and really to Aaron Henry's credit, because he did probably 90% of the lifting for this team. 
they made a late charge and crashed a tournament field and they only got to that by getting wins over Illinois and Michigan and Ohio state. Um, but then they also by dint of a hideous overtime loss in which Izzo was thoroughly out coached by Mick Cronin, um, got their fourth first weekend exit in the last five tournaments. And yes, I know the fifth tournament was a final four, uh, but still didn't make the field of 64. No. And so I, I looked at it at the time and I still do as pretty solid evidence that Izzo's not exactly the March magician he used to be. That's kind of heresy in my fan base. I am a minority of fans who believe that, but I am just looking at the evidence, man. That's what I do in my day job. I got to look at the evidence and say what the thing is. And sometimes my job is to make arguments that help get around some evidence. And I can do that sometimes. But when it's so one-sided, when there's this powerful unidirectional trend, there's only so much you can do, right? Sometimes you're just doing a little bit of damage control. And there's, yeah, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any controversy in that anymore. They're saying he's not quite the in-game coach he used to be, especially in the tournament context. So let's talk personnel. Uh, much to my chagrin regarding our status in the all-name team, Rocket Watts packed his bags last night pre-flight after a zero-hour disastrous move to point guard that really didn't pan out. Um, and it was also not too long after Rocket Mortgage became the official sponsor. Yeah, I remember when people made a big deal out of that, and apparently it's like thing, it happens all the time. So I still don't know why it was a big deal. There must have been something about the way they announced it that made it seem like a new and unique thing. Um, so it, it feels as though the athletic department kind of did that to themselves. Um, but look, what, as far as that goes, if Dan Gilbert and Matt Ishbia want to compete with each other to see who can throw the bigger bag of money at Michigan State Athletics, that's fine. Uh, it's an athletic department that needs it, especially now that Eli Broad passed away. So um, Anyway, before we get into the intricacies of the MSU booster community, yeah, Rocket Watts transferred out, and there were still there were a couple points in this season, like the Michigan win, where you could see why it was why it was so apparent. I mean, he was a top fifty or sixty recruit. I forget exactly. Um, had moments in his freshman season as well, where it's like this guy could be a foundational star in the right situation, but it wasn't going to be Michigan State because for most of the year. He was extremely inefficient on offense. His shot selection never got any better. And his defense fell off a cliff. As a freshman, he was pretty good defensively, which is the only way you get to play for Izzo if you're a freshman. You have to be good defensively. And the, I don't know if it's something about the lost offseason, but would it be fair to say same situation? So would it be fair to say that uh, he very frequently thought in a game, all right, this is a rocket watts moment? but it ended up actually meaning something different than he thought it meant. Kind of, but it's not like there weren't very many games where he jacked up a ton of bad shots, but it's just it, like the style he played with on offense. He was never, I mean, he was never going to be the facilitator that Cassius Winston was, but the ball still didn't move. Like it, the ball's got to move in Izzo, in Izzo's offense. It's not an ISO based offense at all. It's all about running complicated sets and getting guys good shots. Um, it's not meant for hero ball, but that really feels like kind of what he's built for. Um, but it, in any case, he's gone. I, as far as I know, I haven't checked recently, but I don't think he's announced destination yet. So he was linked to Kentucky. And I was like, I, okay. I mean, it, 
Cal's offense is more driving dish. So I guess that could work, but he doesn't do the dish part. So I don't know. I do wish him the best. I, and I say that for all, they had a few other transfers as well. Um, Foster lawyer, who is probably the biggest punching bag for the fan base because he's short and he's slow and he's white. So that helps. Uh, <laughs> it's always fair to pick on the white kid in basketball. Um, and power forward, Thomas Kithier, likewise transferred out. Those are two guys who were recruiting mistakes by the staff. Neither of them had big 10 athletic ability. Um, sometimes you just miss in that direction, but in basketball, you don't get that many opportunities to, to decide who plays for your team. So those were costly misses. And look, I, no one, I, I don't question, I don't think anybody questions that those two played as hard as they could use as much as they had every time they stepped on the floor. It was just not ever enough. Um, so they're, they're off. I think Kithier landed at Valparaiso. I didn't see that Lawyer had picked a spot yet the last time I looked, but it's also been a couple of weeks since I thought about basketball. So to replace them, they do have one incoming transfer, which is Tyson Walker, point guard from Northeastern. Um, that's a big deal. He was a really good player in, what is it, the MIAC? I think they're in the Patriot League. I don't know. They're in a low major conference, but um, he had kind of a moment in a game against North Carolina where he was thrust in the national consciousness for a minute. And that's probably where he had the realization, hey, I can play with these guys. Why don't I look for a high major spot at the end of the year? They'll probably play him like 25 minutes a game at point guard, which resolves their biggest question last year and the one they never solved. Um, they do also have uh, Josh Langford is retiring from basketball. He was, he returned after persistent foot issues and frankly, he was not his old self either. It's certainly more understandable with him and Aaron Henry declared for the draft, even though I think it's questionable whether he gets drafted because his three point shot is pretty bad. Um, it also does not sound like he plans on coming back, even if he goes up, well, if he goes undrafted, he can't come back, but, um, They'll have a couple open scholarships. They could pick up another transfer or two, but they do have three freshmen coming in that I wouldn't want to crowd out because I think these guys could be really good. Um, Jaden Aikens at the point, and then wings Max Christie and Pierre Brooks. I think they could easily pick up a transfer wing as long as it's a guy who only plays for a year and maybe keep the apple cart balanced, so to speak, without worrying about bumping anybody else out. So that's oh, and I suppose I'd be remiss not to mention that not only well, it's not clear if Imani Bates is reclassifying or not, but he ain't coming here. Um, and the writing's been on the wall for that with for, you know, for months. Um, they said his dad set up their own school for him to play at, and they brought in a bunch of other high-ranking guys, including Jaden Akins, and then he ended up leaving the team. So given that Akins did come to campus, bring in the guy whose team you just kicked him off of. In the following, it, you know, it could have been a little awkward. So I'm not going to do what I've seen some MSU fans do since it started becoming apparent. Like he's probably not coming because um, there's been a lot more criticism aimed at his game. And some of that's fair because he is still very skinny. He is still pretty uninterested in playing defense. Um, but with the appropriate coaching, he could still be an elite player. The thing is, he's not getting that from Tom Izzo. Like that's for six months now, it's been apparent that he was not coming. So a bummer, but life goes on. Indeed, it does. Um, I don't know how much uh, I have to add to all of that. It it definitely seems like a, a more, if, if we're winding down here, it seems like we're winding down a lot more gracefully than Mark D'Antonio. 
Yeah, if we if you're referring to Tom Izzo there, and I I guess I'll put this on on our record here because I don't know if I've officially said it. I think he's coaching for two more years. It would line up a little bit too perfectly. His I say that mostly because his son is on the team and he just finished his second year. So two more years. Steven's got his degree and Izzo's last game at the Breslin Center. Steven is a, it would be his son's senior day. That's the kind of thing that I think um, would appeal powerfully to his heart. So it's going to be an interesting offseason. It's probably the one with the most unanswered questions in, I mean, geez, since the year that Valentine Forbes and Costello all left at once, but they had a lot of talent coming in behind those guys. I don't remember an offseason like this where there are this many unanswered questions because even, you know, Tyson Walker is a big step in the right direction. They certainly know, they certainly at least have enough viable options at the point but they still I don't know what they're doing down low they still don't have a scoring threat they have all these raw project type guys who haven't really taken the star turns that you need them to somebody's got to be a lot better at center um and I I went through this whole thing without mentioning Joey Hauser's name once which uh I was thinking of as a positive because that's a whole other kettle fish but what you know? What do you do with him? Does he get any better? Does he look anything like the the impact transfer we thought we were getting from Marquette, or does he continue to be what we saw him to be last year? Um, a lot of unanswered questions for really the first time in at least a decade. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle empire.